the values of the Painted Door Church. We looked at forgiveness last week. This week, we turn our attention to compassion. And it's important to ask at the outset, why does compassion rise to that level of being a defining or core value for our church? Well, we believe, we share a conviction in the Christian faith that there are really only two problems in the world, in all the world, and those are sin and suffering. And that God has determined to answer the problem of sin by way of forgiveness through his son. We covered that last week. And that he is determined to answer the problem of suffering by way of his compassion. By way of having compassion or offering his compassion to us. And so we elevate compassion to one of our core and defining values because we consider it a part of God's redemptive plan for the healing of our world. God means to work out his redemption, answering the problems of sin and suffering through these great gifts of forgiveness and compassion. That's why it's a defining value. Now, that begs a question. God answering the problem of suffering with compassion begs a question, namely, how does compassion bring healing amid suffering? That's not a simple question. How does compassion bring healing amid suffering? That's the question I want us to zero in on for today. For anyone who has truly suffered, that may sound difficult, may sound wrong even. There is so much great pain in our world, and all of it cries out for healing. Without question, the overwhelming majority of the prayers that are offered up to the heavens no matter the particular faith persuasion of who might be crying out, those prayers are offered as or from a place of deep pain. The overwhelming majority of prayers are offered from someone who is presently experiencing deep hurt or has in the past experienced deep hurt. And it is so important that we know God hears those prayers. To not know that God hears those prayers is to be left with a universe that simply does not care for the hurting and ruin and pain of our world. Doesn't care about all the horrors that are playing out on its stage. But we can know. We can know that God hears our prayers. He hears our cries for healing, and we can know that God cares because his compassion has broken into our human story in Jesus. Jesus is the embodiment of God's compassion to us. 
He's an emblem for all time that God does care and God is moving toward us in his compassion. The word compassion, you might be interested to know, simply means to suffer with. Calm, the prefix with. Passio, the Latin for suffer. Compassion, to suffer with. And God has demonstrated his great compassion in coming to suffer with us. That's what Jesus did. He came to suffer with us. The New Testament book of Hebrews speaks of this when the writer tells us in chapter 2, it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. You see, the creator himself, our Lord Jesus, the infinite divine, he came into the world and suffered with us. He took on flesh and frailty in the same way that you and I live in flesh and frailty. He became wholly dependent on his Father, on God the Father, in the same way that you and I are wholly dependent on our God and Father for life, for breath, for existence. We live in this vulnerable state perpetually. Jesus set aside his divine rights to enter into that mire with us, to come into that difficulty and frailty and vulnerability with us, to come into that suffering with us, such that he became our brother. He became one of us. He entered all the way into our story. And his human life then becomes an emblem for all time of God's compassion God is one who suffers with us. God is one who knows our pain. He's one who has tasted it quite viscerally in his son. Now, is that enough for you? When you are suffering, is it enough to simply know that God has not spared himself from that sort of pain, that sort of hardship. I can tell you that it does not feel like enough for me when suffering comes knocking at my door. I'm actually not all that interested in whether God will feel this suffering with me. I'm much more interested in him simply taking it away. Him simply providing me some relief. That's the healing that I'm interested in. That's the healing that I cry out for. The promise that he has stepped into it with me, that doesn't quite seem to cut it. How is God joining me in my pain, any kind of healing at all? That's the question, isn't it? That's our question. That's the question I put to us 
at the outset. How does compassion bring healing amid suffering? Listen to the writer of Hebrews again. Now in verse 14 of chapter 2. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Here in these verses we have maybe the beginning of an answer for how it is that God's compassion might bring healing amid our suffering. Because the writer is telling us that by joining us in our pain and then ultimately and finally joining us in our death, Jesus sets us free from a lifelong slavery that is the fear of death. The fear of death is slavery, and Jesus comes to set us free from that. You see that the deepest agony of suffering, it's not our pain per se. Certainly, pain is awful. Pain hurts. We want relief from it. But what pains us most is what the pain points to. Namely, that we are withering away. That our life and our health are going into the grave. Our pain points us to something that is slipping away. I can recall a time in my life of great suffering when, as a 20-year-old college student, uh, I was diagnosed with cancer in my abdomen, a large mass in my abdomen. And it was real suffering. There was real suffering that attended that. There was pain associated with that. The mass was large enough that it was protruding out of my belly, sticking out on one side so much that I couldn't lie down because it would stretch things out and hurt so much that I would yell out in pain. And so I sat in a recliner in my living room in my college apartment for two weeks throughout the night, unable to lie down to sleep, grabbing just a few moments of sleep here and there until the pain woke me up again. And then there was the suffering of the treatment when I finally came to my senses enough to go in and ask for help and was diagnosed and began a process of chemotherapy and there were days of nausea and vomiting and there was the shame of hair loss and lots of pain. But all of that paled in comparison to this haunting sense that was growing in my mind that I was going to die. The physical pain was pointing me to an even greater enemy. And I could only describe my fear of death as a 20-year-old as slavery. I was crippled by that fear. 
and the fear of death does cripple us. I remember being in one of those small rooms in a hospital in Seattle and the doctor coming in to say, Mark, the chemotherapy has stopped working and we're going to need to proceed with a bone marrow transplant, which is a horrific procedure with a low likelihood for success. And the room started to spin. And my hands and my forehead were covered with sweat. And I could feel the nausea rising in me. It was like the whole world was collapsing in on me. That fear of death owned me. I could hardly breathe. And that's what the fear of death, in truth, does to all of us. Suffering is death this side of the grave. Suffering is a conscious experience of death. It's a harbinger of death. If you truly want to know how it is that you think about death or what it is that you feel about death, watch yourself suffer. That is where you viscerally encounter death, not as a theoretical idea, but as a pain point in your body. It's a foretaste. And Jesus came to rescue us from that fear, that fear of death. How? Well, certainly in resurrection. Having faith in a resurrection, having confidence and trust that there will be for us something on the other side of the grave, that God will preserve us and hold us even when our life withers away into a box in the ground. That's a great comfort. But that resurrection promise, that pertains to what will happen on the other side of the grave. What about the here and now? Is God's compassion simply a promise of future relief? Is God's compassion simply a promise for resurrection that we hold on to and grip as we endure the pain and suffering here? No, I don't think so. Hebrews, again. He had to be made like his brothers in every respect, that's Jesus, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. And again, similar language in chapter 4 of Hebrews. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. You see, Jesus entered into the fullness of our experience. That's what the writer of Hebrews is coming back to over and over again. He did not remain suspended several feet above the ground. When he entered into our human story, he came all the way into the dirt, all the way into the mess, became like us in every Respect so that he would know what it is to have that fear of death, that he would know what it is to feel viscerally in your body the pains 
of suffering, the brokenness of this world. He came not just to show us that he cares, not just to give us the hope of a future resurrection. Jesus came to carry a human frame from the state of ruin and pain into the state of healing. He came to show us the pattern of moving from that place of great suffering and loss and ruin into the place of true healing. I want you to see this. This is important. The life of Jesus is the picture of God's healing for humanity. If you want to know what God's plan for healing is, God's answer to the suffering and sickness and ruin of our world, look at the life of Jesus. The life of Jesus is a life lived from that place of suffering and ruin and sickness and death into the fullness of healing. What did we read in Hebrews 2? That Jesus was made perfect through suffering. That word perfect in that book of Hebrews is the word for completion, the word for wholeness. Jesus was made complete through suffering. Jesus was made whole through suffering. He was made into a complete human person by way of suffering. Did it ever occur to you that God's healing might not be about going back to the place that you were before you experienced pain? That's the way we tend to think about healing. When suffering comes, when hardship comes, we long to go back. We long to go back to that place before those things entered our life. If only I could go back to the way things were before the accident, before the divorce, before the abuse, before the addiction. We want God to rewind the story and take us back. But if God's healing is about taking us back to where we were before suffering entered into our life, then the suffering that we endure is pointless. The suffering that we endure is meaningless. If God's healing were merely about taking us back to where we were before we suffered, he would have done so much better to never have let the suffering befall us in the first place. But God's healing is not about taking us back to where we were before we hurt. God's healing is about taking us forward and up into the fullness of being, taking us forward and up into the very heart of God, forward and up into the very life of Jesus. It's about being made whole in a way that we never were before, in a way that we could not have been had we not endured. The life of Jesus 
is a manifestation of how a human person finds wholeness. If you want to see a picture of a human person being made whole, a human person being made complete, a human person ascending into the fullness of what God meant to create when he announced, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. The completion of that creation project, the completion of the creation of human personhood, plays out over the life of Jesus. By way of suffering, he moves into wholeness. He moves into completeness. Hebrews chapter 5 now, verses 8 and 9. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Jesus, you know the story, experienced betrayal and loss and physical pain and false accusation and abandonment and all of those things that he suffered broke his heart and made him whole. The suffering simultaneously broke his heart and made him complete, made him perfect. Because the fullness of human personhood, what it means to be truly healed in God's terms, is to be swept up into the brokenheartedness of him. It's to be swept up into the brokenheartedness of God. That's where he means to take us. That's what he's leading us into. Into his heart. Into his way of being. We can be no more whole than when we are rescued from our self-preserving fear of death and rescued into the tender, broken heart of love. God, in human terms, is a broken-hearted person. That's who he is. Have you ever spent much time with a person whose heart has been cracked open? Someone for whom tears of love come quickly. Someone who's given up on playing defense. Someone who is no longer concerned with hiding or protecting their own vulnerability. Someone who readily offers their own weakness. Someone who is broken-hearted. There could hardly be a more lovely kind of person. God speaks repeatedly of those kind of people being his people. He does not despise a broken and contrite spirit, a broken heart, 
This is what he means to do in all of us, to form us into his wholeness. There's a form of wholeness in our world that is very different than that. We tend to elevate people who are good at avoiding pain, people who seem impervious to the friction of life. We hold them up as examples of strength, as pillars of what it would mean to be great, of what it would mean to be fully alive or fully human. But Jesus is offering us an entirely different way. Jesus is inviting us into the brokenheartedness of God. He's inviting us into the story of his own brokenheartedness. And his invitation to us doesn't come from some distant land by way of mail. Jesus comes right to us. He enters right into our suffering with us. He says, suffer with me even as I came to suffer with you. He invites us to suffer with God. Compassion, to suffer with, to be elevated in our suffering such that we would share in it with God, that we would know the broken-hearted nature of God. George MacDonald, great 19th century novelist, he wrote this, Jesus suffered unto death, not that men might not suffer, but that their suffering might be like his and lead them up to his perfection. Jesus didn't come to take our suffering away. He came to make us whole. He came to sweep us up into the life of God, to sweep us up into the broken heart of God so that we would have that heart for one another and have that heart for the whole world. Let's pray. Father, there are many, even in this room now, who know suffering. Many who have pasts riddled with pain. Many who are sitting in pain, even now. Ask for your spirit to be present in our gathering, that you would offer the solidarity of your Son, the life of your Son. Lord, teach us your heart. Teach us who you are, even in the hard things that we endure. Teach us to live in your life with you and to suffer with you. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.